This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. This morning we are looking at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, We are in a series of studies in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're kind of in in a series within a series looking in some detail at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We'll be focusing our attention on verse 10, but uh, we'll read verses 7 through 15. Hear the Word of God. Jesus said, When you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we come with anticipation because this is the living and active word of God. Lord, we pray that you would take your word and you would work on our lives, work on our hearts by your word. We pray, Father, for your teaching. We pray for your encouragement. We pray for your correction and rebuke where needed. And, Father, we pray that in all we would worship you and adore you by the study of your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Mark chapter 1, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, as Mark records it, we read in verses 14 and 15 that after John, that is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. But when we read Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we are taught by Jesus to pray, Your kingdom come. Well, which is it? Is the kingdom of God at hand with Jesus' arrival on earth? Or, with Jesus on earth, are we still awaiting the kingdom? Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Which is it? Well, it's both. It is both your kingdom is at hand, and it is your kingdom come. Because we have to understand the nature of the kingdom of God, or as Matthew would put it, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The kingdom has already come with the arrival of of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is, it is here. It is present. It has come. But the kingdom is not yet here 
in terms of all of its fullness, in terms of its all-pervasive influence, in terms of the complete manifestation of its power and its presence. An analogy that we've used before that I think really is helpful because I think it accurately captures that sense of both the already-ness of the kingdom of God and the not-yet-ness of the kingdom of God is D-Day, June 6, 1944 when the Allies invaded Normandy and established a beachhead and began to pour men and uh, armaments and material into Europe. You could make a case that from that, at that point, once that invasion had succeeded, once a beach hold, a, a mere toehold on Europe was established, the war was as good as over. Because with all of that pouring into Europe, there was no way that Germany was going to win that war. But you also know... Some of you firsthand, the rest of you through history, that the war was far from over. There was still a lot of bloody and painful fighting and suffering and misery that took place before Germany actually was vanquished. Which was it? Was the war over on June 6, 1944, or was the war over in 1945? The answer is yes, depending on how you look at it. And that's really what happened. When Jesus came into this world... And particularly when he began his public ministry, it was D-Day. The kingdom of heaven had invaded, and in Christ the toehold was established as the kingdom was coming in its power. And that power was seen in the healing of the effects of sin in people's lives, the healing of disease, the casting out of demons, the teaching of the kingdom when Jesus had come in. Now, certainly the kingdom was present in a sense, even in the Old Testament, with Israel, and that too was a toehold. But with Jesus uh, coming into the world, the kingdom was now at hand in a new way. The Messiah had come. Our salvation was going to be fought for and won through his obedience to the law of God and through his going to the cross and dying and through his resurrection on the third day, winning, securing beyond all doubt for all time the salvation of his people. And when those things happened... The kingdom was here. The kingdom had come. And yet, you and I know, even as Christians, even as those who are participants in the kingdom, even as those who have bowed the knee to Jesus and follow and serve him, that the war is far from over. That there is still wrestling against sin in our own heart. There is still living in a, in a sinful and fallen and broken and painful world. There are still casualties to be suffered. There is still wrestling and fighting to be done. Because the kingdom, while here, is not yet here in all of its fullness. So the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is present, the kingdom is with us, and yet the fullness of the kingdom, the grandeur, the obvious expression of the kingdom, is not yet here. So remember those two words when you think about the kingdom of God. Already? Yes. And not yet. Also, yes. So the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet here in its fullness. Now it helps us as we think about this petition in the Lord's Prayer today. Lest we misunderstand what it is that we're talking about. Well, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus instructs his disciples to pray. We were taught to come before God with both a sense of appreciation for who God is as our Father his intimacy, his nearness, his closeness to us, the warm relationship that we have with him as children to their father, and yet never forgetting that he is our father in heaven, that he is the holy God, that he is the one who reigns over heaven and earth. 
And so while we can be familiar and intimate and close with him, we never trespass into impertinence or irreverence toward God because of who he is. And we looked last week at the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be your name, which as we saw is not a statement that God's name is holy. It is a prayer, it is a petition that God's name would be esteemed as holy, by, certainly by ourselves and by all people in all places. It is our desire that all people would recognize God for who he is and would treat his name and therefore his being, who he is, with all due uh, reverence, awe, respect, care. And so we saw that when we speak about God, when we uh, think about God, when we talk to others about God or the things of God, it should be with that due sense of, of reverence and respect, not superstition, but a due regard for who God is and, and exactly who it is and what it is that we are talking about. Well, today we come to the second petition, very short and in many ways very simple. Thy kingdom come. Now, this is the second of the first three in the Lord's Prayer, the first three having to do with God himself, the second three petitions having to do with ourselves and our needs, but the first three having to do with God's interests. And the second is, thy kingdom come. What Jesus is saying here is that as Christians, it should be the burden of our hearts, it should be the subject of our prayers that we pray for the spread of the saving reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, Jesus is teaching us that we should pray for his saving reign over all people and all places. Now, what does that mean? Let's look at that in, in more detail. It means in the first place that we should pray for the rule of the saving reign of Christ in our own hearts. We should pray for, we should seek the rule, the reign of the saving reign of Christ in our own hearts. As with all of these petitions, we don't dare pray them for others or pray them for the world until we have first prayed them for ourselves. We pray for the rule of Christ, his saving reign in our own hearts. Now, Jesus was speaking with his disciples, and he said to them, The kingdom of heaven is within you. It could also be translated, The kingdom of heaven is in your Midst. It is among you. It is with you now. Now, we need to be careful to make a distinction here up front. The, the, reign, the saving reign of Christ is seen in his people. Now, the kingship, the sovereign rule of Christ as the second person of the Trinity is seen in all people over all places, over all events. Because Christ is God. God is sovereign. God reigns over everything from the movement of molecules to the movement of galaxies. Jesus reigns in that sense of who he is as sovereign God, regardless of our response to him. He reigns over everything. He reigns over those who love him. He reigns over those who despise him. He reigns over everything that happens, from your rising to your going to bed this evening, from the movement of ants to the actions of nations, he reigns. He reigns over what is done out of noble and good motivation. He reigns over what is done out of malice and with evil intent. We need to make this distinction when we talk about the reign of Christ, that we not find him as some pitiful, would-be 
leader who's looking for followers so that he can have a kingdom. Jesus reigns whether we want him to or not. Christ rules whether we acknowledge that reign or not because he is sovereign God. The reign we're talking about here, though, has to do with his kingdom. And that's why I say we pray for Christ's saving reign in the world. The kingdom made up of those who, by his grace, repent of their sins and believe in him and follow him. And we pray for the extension of that reign. We pray for that reign in our own hearts because we begin with ourselves. Now, that means that as we, even as we pray that, we fulfill that prayer by examining our hearts daily, by repenting of sin, confessing our sin to Christ and maybe to one another, uh, by asking his forgiveness and by purposing with the help of the Holy Spirit to walk in new obedience to him. Uh, the term, the, the theological term is our sanctification, where in our daily living we actually become more and more like Jesus in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we think, in the things we do, the things we don't do, to become more and more like Christ. We were redeemed for that. We weren't saved so we could go on sinning. We were saved, made new creatures in Christ so that we become more and more like Christ. In other words, we bear a family resemblance to our Father in heaven and with our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, first thing we're praying when we recite the Lord's Prayer, when we pray this pattern, and it is first a pattern, not a prayer, is that we pray for the rule of Christ in our own hearts, which means turning from sin, which means seeking to obey Him. Not to be saved, but because He has saved us, because we're trusting in Him. I mean, as far as our salvation goes, Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our uh, forgiveness, His blood cleansing us from sin. But we want to be like Him. And any professing Christian who is not interested in being like Christ uh, is either badly misled or perhaps not a believer at all. And so first we have to look at ourselves and pray for and seek the rule of Christ's saving reign in our own hearts. Now second uh, way that uh, this prayer applies when we pray thy kingdom come is that we pray for and we are praying for the spread of the saving reign of Christ in the world. We pray for the rule of the saving reign of Christ in our own hearts, but we also pray for the spread of that same reign over the people of the world. In other words, to put it another way, we're praying that people would become Christians. We're praying that because we believe that apart from Christ, people are under the wrath of God, that apart from Christ, they are still in their sins, that apart from Christ, they will pass to face the judgment of God and will be in hell for all eternity because they have violated the laws, violated the character, have rebelled against a holy and a just God. But in his mercy, God has sent a Savior, a substitute, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, not merely bearing the physical pain, but bearing the wrath, the judgment of God itself in the place of whoever would turn from his sins, turn from her sins, believe in him as their Savior. And believing that, we are praying that more and more people would do that, that more and more people would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So we're praying for the spread of the saving reign of Christ over all the world. Now let's look at some particulars. What does that mean? Well, uh, perhaps one of the most obvious ways uh, that we are praying the prayer, Thy kingdom come, is by praying for missionaries. 
And we try to be diligent to do that here. That's not just something to do in order to have something to pray, that we pray for the missionaries we support. Uh, We do support those missionaries listed there with our finances. But if we do not pray for them, for their success, for their protection, then we might as well not send them. Because it's only as God works through them will any lasting, eternal fruit be brought into existence. And so while our money sends them there, it keeps them there, it's our prayers that make them effective. It's not just an exercise that we do. And by praying as we did for our missionaries this morning, as we do each week, we are, we are praying, in other words, thy kingdom come. Because we are praying for the success of those who go out to spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to extend the saving reign of our Lord Jesus Christ over all who will hear the message by God's grace, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to their eternal salvation. Now, along with that, praying for current missionaries, part of praying thy kingdom comes means that we pray for more missionaries. You'll recall what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, the end of the chapter there. Um, He said to them, the harvest is plentiful. And that's true. No shortage of sinners out there, right? No shortage of people in need of the saving grace of God across the street. In this town, in our county, in the Atlanta area, let alone the entire world, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so you ought to feel guilty, right? Because you're not out helping bring in the harvest. That's not what Jesus says. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, it's God who sends out the laborers. It's God who calls those to go and serve Him in other places as missionaries. That's not something that you can do. Call yourself. God must call you. God must send you. But what we do is pray that He would send out laborers, all the time being willing to be an answer to our own prayer, uh, praying that God would send out laborers into His harvest. Because there's no shortage of people in need of the good news But there is a shortage of those who God has called. And so we're praying for God to call them, to send them out, to make them successful. And we need to pray that. We need to pray that for our own church. That God would be pleased, maybe from our own midst, to send out some. Even as John is gone, Adam is gone, some are going this summer with our trip to Peru on a short-term basis. But maybe even praying that God would call from us and call from among our children those who would go out as career missionaries, to give their lives to making the good news known in in other places where the gospel is not so well known or available or accessible as it is here. So praying for missionaries is a way of praying for the spread of the saving reign of Christ. But closer to home, praying for those we know. There are people you know, you work with, go to school with, people who live in your neighborhoods, people that you know, family members who do not know Christ. When you pray for that person's salvation, you are, in other words, praying, Thy kingdom come. That this person would, by God's grace, bow their knee to Christ, believe in Him, and follow Him. People we know personally, maybe people we know of. 
uh, celebrities, people we hear about in the news, political leaders that we might agree with, might disagree with, whatever it might be. I know my own failures here. I suspect you do too. The tendency to look on people like that for what they do, things that they they do in their lives, and we just cluck our tongues and shake our heads and you know basically thank God, Lord, that you did not make me like this person. Well, never thought to pray for that person, pray for that political leader, uh, pray for that celebrity whose life is coming apart at the seams, that they might know the saving grace of God. Because apart from that grace, they're lost. They're undone. They are not the enemy. They are in need of Christ, just as we are. And so praying for them. When we pray for someone's salvation, whether it's someone we know or someone we know of, we are praying, in other words, thy kingdom come. Praying for the spread of the saving reign of Christ over people who need the salvation he alone can give. Another way that we pray for the spread of the saving reign of Christ over all the world is to pray for the failure. Pray for a stronger word, the destruction of those who oppose Christ and his kingdom. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 102, which is going through these, these petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, 102 puts it this way. What do we pray for in the second petition? In the second petition, which is thy kingdom come, we pray, first, that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. In case you didn't recognize it, I just gave away my sermon outline. But what are we praying for first? That the kingdom of Satan may be destroyed. Now, we're not praying for the destruction of a person. But we are praying. We pray for their salvation. Even those who seem least likely to believe. As we've said before, Saul of Tarsus would have been voted least likely to be a Christian in his day, prior to his conversion. We're not praying so much for the destruction of a person as we are the destruction, the frustration of the efforts of those who seek to stand against the kingdom of Christ. That their, that their efforts would end in failure. That their efforts to promote what is evil, to promote what is wicked, would be stopped. That they would be frustrated, that they would be thwarted, that, they, that Christ would stand against them and bring their efforts to nothing. And so we pray for that, even as we pray for those who are under Satan's power, who are uh, working against the kingdom of heaven, perhaps unknowingly, maybe quite knowingly, that God in his grace would save them. We pray for the frustration of their efforts to promote what is evil, to promote what is contrary to Christ and to his kingdom. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying for the rule of Christ, his saving reign in our own hearts. We're praying for the spread of the saving reign of Christ throughout all the world. In other words, that more and more people would come to know him, would become Christians. Third, we pray for the consummation of the saving reign of Christ in the world to come. For the consummation, the fulfillment of the saving reign of Christ in the world to come. Perhaps more than anything, when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we do pray for that which we do not yet enjoy. We pray for Christ's return. We pray for the day when sin and its effects in this world will be no more. We pray for the day when we will no longer struggle with temptation in our own hearts, with our own inclinations towards sin, 
with the effects of sin and its misery that it causes in this world, that's what we're ultimately longing for. And this was the desire, this was the prayer of the church in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, the end of the book, chapter 16, verse 22. Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Then he says, our Lord, come. Some translations just transliterate it. Don't even, don't even translate it. They just bring it over to English. Maranatha. 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 O Lord, come. Praying for Christ's return. Because as much as we want to be sanctified and grow in grace ourselves, as much as we want to see people in this world come to a saving knowledge of Christ, what we long for most of all is to see the reign of Christ in its fullness, in its glory, the eradication of sin, the fulfillment, the, the fullness of the, the kingdom, to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our desire. That's the longing of God's people throughout Scripture. It's that that uh, causes the Bible, the last book of the Bible, and therefore the Bible itself, to end with the prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 30. He who testifies to these things, Jesus, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then the closing benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The final petition, the final prayer of the Bible is come, Lord Jesus. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying for the return of Christ. Three simple words. Thy kingdom come. How easy to say, right? How quickly they slip across our lips. And yet in praying these words, we are praying for a complete upheaval of this world as we know it. We are praying for a complete upheaval of our lives as we know them. And for that reason, thy kingdom come to pray seriously. To pray meaningfully is not an easy prayer for the comfortable to pray. Because we might have too much to lose in its fulfillment. Or at least think that we do. You see, when we suffer from illness, when we suffer from persecution, we can pray, Thy kingdom come, with more fervency. When we believe the lie of sin, when we've been let down enough times to become jaded with sin and with this world, we can pray thy kingdom come with much more feeling. When we caught such a vision of the glory of God that nothing else will satisfy, we can pray thy kingdom come with much more longing. You see, to feel the burden of this petition, not merely to pray it, but to feel it, will mean a reordering of our priorities. It may mean a major change in our lives. It means we long for the glory of Christ. It means we desire the reign of Christ above our own personal peace and comfort and affluence. It means we want Christ's glory above our own. It means we want others to bow to Christ even as we bow to Him ourselves. It means we know who we are as citizens of the kingdom of heaven that we have let go of this world and we are longing for that world which is to come. Thy kingdom come. That prayer is answered every time we say no to sin and obey Christ. 
Thy kingdom come. That prayer is answered every time someone turns from his sin, believes in Christ, and follows Him. Thy kingdom come. That prayer will be answered completely at the return of Christ. And so we who are His people, wanting more of all of it, more of our own obedience, more of the salvation of the lost, and certainly the glory and the reign, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, His people, pray and pray repeatedly in all of its forms and expressions, Thy kingdom come. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for Your forgiveness that we often pray for our needs and about our fears and about our concerns and yes, Lord, even about our wants and never seem to get around to praying Thy kingdom come. Lord, we thank You that we can pray for those things that we need and You certainly taught us to do that in this prayer. But before any of that, You taught us to pray that Your name would be hallowed. You taught us to pray that Your kingdom would come. Father, we'll never lose sight of the needs that we have, the things that make us hurt, the things that make us afraid, the things that keep us awake, and the the daily needs that we have. And You know those things, and we thank You. Well, Lord, we pray that You would begin to put on our heart a greater burden for, greater longing for, the reign, the saving reign of Jesus over this poor world of ours. We pray it in His name. Amen.